Hey, good morning, FCF. We are in the fourth message in the series called Tug of War Slash Love or Tug of Love. And what we said is that we are these beings that knowingly or unknowingly are always looking to experience love from everybody that we meet. And we would really like to have them experience love from us. Now, this is not always conscious, but we are love-driven relational beings. And yet, we find that love and experiencing the kind of love and giving the kind of love that we would like to give and having others experience our love, it's just hard. It's not easy. So it's like a tug of war. The intention is there, but sometimes it really calls for some, some new learning, some new awakening. So today we're going to talk about a critical aspect of learning to love God's way. And what we have said in this series is this, is that God has created six contexts or classrooms for us whereby the goal is for us to learn how to love the way that God Himself loves. What we said is that God created family. He created our co-workers. He created our friends. He created the strangers. These are the people we, we are just have as acquaintances, casual acquaintances. He created, not that He caused it, but we have enemies. And then we have Christians. So there's six different levels, six different contexts. Each of these, though, you must understand the goal is not primarily for our happiness, even though they do bring happiness or kin. But the goal is that they are to stretch us, they are to help us to grow and develop, to actually learn to love the way that God Himself loves. Why is that important? Because that's the only way that life can work in the universe eternally for each and every free moral agent, being with free will that exists to live in harmony and peace and the highest possible joy possible. Okay, having said all that, to introduce today's subject, I want to give you a, a, little, um, a little scenario to consider. So. You, um, you get up, you know, you wake up in the morning in your house, wherever you're, you live, your apartment, whatever. You, um, you take your shower and, you know, you get dressed. Maybe you were up late the night before, so you slept in a little late. So, you know, it's, it's a little later as you get up and you come out. And as you come out into your living area, you know, you're thinking you're going to get some food. You see some other family member is already up, is already sitting in the living room, maybe eating a sandwich or something like that. So you don't think anything of it. You go about your business. You go to the refrigerator. Everything is harmonious. Everything is stable. Everything is fine and satisfying and so forth. Scenario one. Now let me give you scenario two. You go through that same routine. You get up a little bit late. You get your shower. You dress. You come on out. But when you come out and go into the kitchen, just as you are going into the kitchen, you hear the front door open. Expecting to see a family member, you don't see a family member. You see a total stranger. The total stranger comes into your house, marches into the kitchen where you are at, walks in front of you, opens the refrigerator up, takes out lunch, meat, bread, and starts to make a sandwich. The stranger then finishes making the sandwich, walks into your living room, sits down on your couch, puts their feet up on the table. Some of you are already thinking, you don't put your feet up on my table. But they put their feet up on the table and they start eating their sandwich and they click on your TV. How is this different? How do you feel now? Well, you know, immediately we, we know, well, Randy, that's so obvious. If a stranger came through my door to begin with and then walked into my kitchen, went into my refrigerator and, and made themselves at home in my house, I'd be in a state of chaos, confusion. Uh, I, w I wouldn't, you know, I'd be ready to call the police or something like that. You know, I would have at least said, who are you? What are you doing here? It would not have been acceptable. 
Why is that? Why is that? Why was it that the family member, you were totally fine, everything was harmonious, everything was fine, everything was calm, but with this stranger, it's all different because the stranger, living in a different context, remember the six contexts that God puts us in to learn how to love the way He loves. He puts us in family, the most intimate. He puts us with our co-workers. He puts us with friends. He puts us with strangers. These are the acquaintances we come across in the community. He puts us with enemies. Jesus even said, Luke 6, 27, we can learn to love our enemies. We can bless those who curse us. We can do good to them and we can pray for them. And then he puts us amongst the Christian family. All of these contexts are meant to stretch us, develop us, so that we learn to love in, in a multifaceted way, the way that God does. Here's the problem that comes in the past sometimes. As we're going about wanting to be loved all the time, wanting to give love all the time, we have this crashing of our boundaries. The reason that you would be upset because uh, that stranger walks into your house and gets into your refrigerator and makes a sandwich and sits down on your couch, that stranger has violated a boundary. The boundary for that stranger is your front, de front door. If that stranger wants to come in, they have to come to your front door and knock, ring the bell, whatever. They have to introduce themselves. They have to ask permission to come in. The relationship with the stranger, the love relationship with the stranger is an entirely different level of the relationship with the family member. There is a boundary. I want to suggest to you in this message a critical component to learning to love God's way, to experiencing God's love in ourselves and being uh, able to give it to others is we must understand this concept of boundaries, boundaries, reasonable boundaries. I'll do this as a, just a passing thing in advertising. Back in 1992, John Townsend and Henry Cloud <clears throat> wrote a book called Boundaries. They're Christian psychologists. It's an excellent book. It's been read by millions. It deals mostly with uh, struggles with those very difficult people that we may have in our life and our tendencies as Christians to be kind of codependent and not knowing when to say yes and when to say no. So you may want to read that book called Boundaries, but my message today is really a little different than the essence of that book. So let's start by asking ourselves a question, you know, uh, let, let's, let's analyze, it's actually not a question, let's analyze, let's start by analyzing the nature of boundaries, okay? Where do they come from? What, what are the origin of boundaries? Boundaries started with the Creator. Once you start your worldview, your belief system about life with a Creator, you, your worldview is very simple. You either believe that everything came from nowhere for no reason and it's just this bizarre accident. By the way, uh, the Hubble telescope and you know timing in the universe and so forth has kind of proved that wrong. We know there was a start point. But anyway, we either believe that everything came from nowhere for no reason, it's all just a bizarre accident, or we believe that there was an infinite, eternal, this is critical, infinite and eternal creator who created everything. Once you have an infinite, eternal creator who created things and, let's take it higher, created living things, you now have boundaries. You're saying, Randy, what do you, what do you mean? Why, why would a creator creating other living things create boundaries? Because there is a boundary always, always, always there will be a boundary between the infinite and the finite. I am finite. I am created, I am, I am temporal, I am vulnerable, I, I live in dependent, uh, uh, a necessary dependent relationship on the Creator. 
Every created thing is vulnerable. Every created thing is finite. Every created thing is dependent and contingent upon the Creator. So we have a boundary. Point number one, a created being, because of their, their design, can never, ever be like the Creator. There's just a difference. It, it would be um, like a fish becoming like a human. It just can't. There's a speciation difference. So once you start with a Creator, and created beings, infinite and finite, you have boundaries. By the way, um, evidence in Scripture is this, is that the very first sin, if you want to call it that, was a boundary violation uh, by Lucifer, because Lucifer, a finite created being, he wanted to be equal with the infinite God, which is impossible. You can't. A finite being, by nature, there's always a boundary between the finite and the infinite. But Satan wanted to be, he became Satan by, he was Lucifer, by wanting to be equal with God. He wouldn't accept his place. Listen to it carefully. He wouldn't accept the boundary that his being, his created being, and a finite being uh, necessitated. So that's really kind of the first, the first violation of a boundary and what we might call the first sin, and it's caused a great deal of trouble. So boundaries originated with God. Now I want to read you some verses. Uh, to show you a little bit more about boundary origination. In Psalm 147.5, it says, Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is inexhaustible and boundless. This tells us, first of all, that boundaries, boundaries are not arbitrary. Boundaries are based on God's inexhaustible, boundless understanding and wisdom. Let me go further to show you something about these boundaries that God created. In Psalm 25.10, it says, All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. All these boundaries are, are governed, they are created by His understanding and His love. Psalm 74.17 says, You, Lord, you set up all the boundaries, all the boundaries of the earth. So it's God's massive, loving understanding that created boundaries. Boundaries have a necessary component in learning to love God's way. The observation, the recognition, the understanding of God-given boundaries help us to learn to love God's way. By the way, in Acts chapter 17, verse uh, 26 and 27, it says that even the nation's national boundaries were created by God and they were created so that people would seek Him and more people would find Him because they're not living as one nation. We saw in the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11 when everybody was united with one language way they rebelled against God and God separated them through uh, causing their languages to be barriers and that way more people could be reached. But national boundaries, which is being attacked in our day and age, they are of God. You can read it yourself in Acts 17, verse 27 and 28. So these boundaries are the result of God's love. They are the result of God's wisdom. They cannot be improved on. They cannot. They, they are as good as anyone could ever make them. Now I want to take you next to the history, the history of boundaries, because God has a lot to say about that. We find right in the very first chapters of the Bible, we see God utilizing boundaries. Boundaries, excuse me. He separates, for example, uh, the water that had covered the earth. He separates it between the sky and the water. Then he separates the water from the land. He, you know, he stops the water from covering all the land. He separates light and dark, day and night. He creates boundaries in the uh, the plant life. You know. 
Each plant cre uh, reproduces after its kind. Each fruit tree reproduces after its, its kind. Then he has boundaries in the animal world, you know, in the fish world. They reproduce after their kind. You see, he creates man in his own image, and then you see God setting up boundaries again. He takes the man, Adam, the first human, and he puts him, it says, in a, in a garden called Eden. It's a boundary. It's a place for him. It's a place that he's to tend and to learn and to grow. He's going to interact with God. But then something else interesting happens with his boundaries. Uh, the Lord brings all the animals, all the animals on the planet to Adam, and just lets Adam use his creative gifts that God's given him, were made in his image, to name them. Well, he names all the animals, but then at the end of this animal naming uh, period, it says that it wasn't good that the man should be alone and that there was no partner found in all the animal world that was a good partner, a good, a good mate for Adam. Once again, boundaries. An animal and a human. We hear an awful lot today where people want to treat animals like humans. I love, love, love animals. But there is a gulf. There is, there, they are, we are not the same. We are not animals. We are image bearers. We are made in the image of God by Christ, for Christ. So the next thing that happens is, uh, you know, God puts Adam to sleep. And um, some say it's the last good night's sleep any man ever had because while he's asleep, God performs an operation, takes one of his ribs, and from that rib constructs a woman. And so truly, it was not Arnold Schwarzenegger in the movie Junior that was the first male to give birth. Adam technically gave birth to Eve, so to speak. And once again, you, you see this boundary, the boundary. There, now, now there's this bond between Adam and Eve, they, they are bone of their bone, flesh of their flesh. You know, the man leaves his father, mother cleaves to his wife, and so forth. Then you see a boundary violation very quickly. A serpentine being, a spiritual entity, comes into the Garden of Eden, lies about God, says that the boundary that God had set, by the way, that's a boundary I didn't talk about. He said, you can eat of the tree of life all you want, but don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you do, it'll destroy you, it'll kill you, it'll ruin you. This serpentine entity comes in, says, God's lying, you can't trust him, he's just holding you back. He knows that if you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be equal to God. Here's the lie again. It was Satan's desire, the finite being, to be equal to the infinite being, which is impossible. But now he's using the same bait with humanity, suspecting that we would be susceptible to the same temptation, and we were. Tragically, Adam and Eve break trust with God, and they trust rather in this serpentine entity that promised them they could become infinite instead of accepting the finite wonderful state that a loving wise creator gives so boundaries now now the scripture has a whole lot more to say about boundaries and particularly two enormous boundary violations when you come to genesis chapter 6 it is the period of noah and the flood but if you read genesis 6 very carefully we have this violation. It is a genetic violation. It is a violation of speciation. What you have are angels, rebellious angels, that come down to earth. They take on human forms so that they can have sexual intercourse with human women and they can reproduce. Angels, Scripture reveals, they do not reproduce. Humans, God gave the ability to reproduce. Angels do not. So they took on human form, which all through Scripture we see angels are able to do and they reproduce with human women. This was a violation of a boundary that God had set, and they produce uh, a perverted species. They, they produce something called the Nephilim. They were hybrids. 
and they were gigantic and they were extraordinarily evil and in a short time this spread so terribly that genetically it looks as though Noah might have been the last genetically pure guy possibly on earth. The earth, <coughs> the earth it says in scripture became filled with violence and men's thoughts were only evil continuously so God brings the flood. The flood was not some angry judgment, it was a rescue mission to rescue what was left of those that trusted God. Noah being the only one left that trusted God, maybe even the only one genetically pure, we don't know. That's, but there was a violation, I want you to see this, it was a boundary violation, a genetic boundary violation, and God deals with that very strongly because it's extraordinarily damaging. We find this targeted twice in the New Testament, in the book of 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 6, and then again in the book of Jude, which I'm going to read to you in a minute, chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, it targets this, but it doesn't stop there. There's another violation, a really big, it's a sexual violation that Scripture keeps pointing their figure to, and it's in Genesis chapter 19. It is in the cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. It is, it is a... It is a a violation, a boundary violation. Remember, God made man and woman. He, did, he didn't make any in-between. He didn't make transgenderism or anything of the nature of what we're being told today that you can choose your sexuality. No, no, no. He gave us our sexuality at birth. And so he said the man is for the woman and sexual activity was to be in the bond of marriage between one man and one woman. Okay, when you come to Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah is renowned for how wicked it was. And the cities all around it knew about it, but it says that their wickedness was so bad that it reached the heaven. And what happens is when two angels are sent there to scout the thing out, the men of the city gather and they want to rape these angels. They don't even want the women, they, they want the men. And so sexual perversion, homosexuality, is rampant in these two cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the New Testament points to the flood, the, the, the boundary violation where the angels mated with humans, and then this particular event in Sodom and Gomorrah where sexual uh, deviation, a sexual boundary was attempted to be pushed aside and all kinds of gender activity was introduced as things that God particularly, particularly counts as, as dire, as destructive. Let me read you in chapter 1 of Jude, and there's only one chapter, what it talks about those angels in Sodom. Jude 1, verse 6 and 7. He has also, he meaning God, he has also held in eternal chains those angels who did not keep their own position but abandoned their assigned place. They refused their boundaries. They wouldn't stay in their angelic uh, realm. They wanted to be mating with humans and reproducing. They are held in deepest darkness for judgment on the great day. Likewise, notice, likewise, here's another deviation, another boundary violation. Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities near them which like them committed sexual sins and pursued homosexual activities serve as an example of the punishment of eternal fire. Again, these two incidents of boundary violations, species and genetic boundary violation and sexual boundary violation are repeated here in Jude and then you have it in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 6. So when it talks about the eternal fire, it just means this, that, that that deviation from God's design has a short shelf life. Shelf life. It will ultimately create destruction. Now, this brings us to a very important point about boundary violation. I'm going to read you a statement. Violating God-given boundaries brings initial gratification. You, you, you have to get that. You have to let that sink in. 
when we violate God's boundaries, his boundaries that he meant for love, initially it's gratifying. It might be exciting. It might be uh, pleasurable. For example, if I'm a bank robber and I rob a bank, I'm stealing money that does not belong to me and I get away with it, I initially feel pretty darn good. I'm thrilled, man. I'm going to buy stuff I want to buy. I'm going to go where I want to go. Okay? But I'm going to live the rest of my life a haunted, hunted, fearful, guilty person looking over my shoulder. So, so, the, so the damage comes later. So let me finish my statement. Violating God-given boundaries brings initial gratification followed by inevitable chaos, confusion, frustration. We get what we want only to find we don't want what we got. And destruction. This is inevitable. When we violate God's boundaries, we don't break them. We don't violate them. We get broken. This is the truth. I'm going to read it to you one more time. Violating God-given boundaries brings initial gratification. This is what's so deceptive. The scripture even says in Hebrews 11:25, there's pleasure in sin for a season, but that season is a short season, and the payday after what is a long season. Violating God-given boundaries brings initial gratification followed by inevitable chaos, confusion, frustration, and destruction. So we've spent time now analyzing uh, the nature of boundaries, reasonable boundaries, and, and boundaries are reasonable because they're originated in our Creator. They're rooted in reality, and they're reasonable because they come from a loving, all-wise, all-understanding Creator. Now, it's not just that God wants us to analyze and understand that He's the Creator of boundaries. He wants us to internalize these boundaries because it's only as we internalize these boundaries that we can really start to learn to love God's way. Loving relationships in the six different contexts require us to understand, and more than understand, to submit to God-given boundaries. Remember the early illustration. If that stranger comes walking in your house and eating out of your refrigerator, you're not feeling that loving feeling. But if it's a family member, you do. So there are boundaries in each of the contexts and levels of uh, relational learning that God has set up, set up for us. So, what I want to do is show you um, in this, this next, you know, final part of this message, three incentives, three things that I hope will motivate all of us to want to internalize God's boundaries, not just to analyze them, not just to understand them, but to really put them inside of us so that they are uh, a part of our everyday lifestyle, a part of our everyday nature. I'm going to start by reading a statement from Jesus from Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 through 40. A man comes to Jesus, teacher. Which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Romans 13.10 says this, Love makes it impossible to harm another, so love fulfills all that the law requires. So here's Jesus saying to us the ultimate boundary, the ultimate boundary that comes from the heart of the Creator, a boundary that the Creator Himself or, uh, you know, follows or submits to, if you want to use that term, is, is this loving, this loving behavior, this, this code of conduct. And so this is the, where we have to adjust our understanding. When we think of love, we almost automatically, reflexively, we, we go to some sort of an affectionate thing, some sort of a feeling. And it's not that love does not include the highest affection. 
and the deepest feelings. But when God uses love, it's bigger than that. It's wider than that. It's deeper than that. It's more comprehensive than that. So I, I wrote a de definition down that I hope will be helpful for you. Love is the ultimate boundary, a code of necessary universal conduct. Let me read it again. Love is the ultimate boundary, a code of necessary universal conduct. Love is always a reasonable, operable principle. Jesus says that loving God supremely and loving our neighbor as ourself, Romans it reiterates, says, causes us never to do harm to another. All of God's laws, all of His concepts, all of His precepts, they're, they're all just expressions of how to love in the six different contexts appropriately so that we're always doing good to others and not doing harm to others. Now, because we have so much harm within us already, we do this imperfectly. It is a learning process. It's a growing process. So I want to give you three critical reasons that I hope will incentivize you, motivate you, energize you to want to internalize God's boundaries. Because as we internalize God's boundaries, we're going to learn to love God's way. We're going to experience God's love for ourselves. And we're going to allow others to experience God's love through us. Number one reason that we should in internalize God's boundaries is that God's boundaries are protective. They're, they're meant to protect us. One of my favorite verses from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29. Here's the Lord speaking. He says, But I wish they would always have respect for me in their hearts. I wish they would always obey all my commands. Then things would go well with them and with their children forever. Two powerful words here. Always. He says, I wish they would always obey all, always and all. I wish they'd obey always all my commands. Why, Lord? Then things would go well with them. God has given us multiple boundaries. These are the boundaries of loving, a loving code of conduct, and they are meant to bless us, to protect us. They are meant to keep us from harm and keep us from harming others. They are the way that the universe can live in harmony with God, in harmony with one another, and have the highest quality of life that is possible for free beings with mind, will, emotions, reason, and, and uh, you know the ability to experience life on multiple levels, the way that God Himself does. So. They're first of all protective. Now let me give you an example of this. We, we encounter this every day. As, as uh, we drive up and down the road, we know that, um, that there are lines on the road. There are painted lines. And we know that also we have, you know, codes of, uh, of speed. You know, we, we call them speed limits. Now, now here's the one truth that you must tuck away. If you or I don't authentically believe that a boundary has validity, if we don't believe it's valid, if we think it's arbitrary, we will, not, we will not embrace that boundary. In other words, when we go to God's Word and we find boundaries, if we don't actually, if we don't actually believe they're valid, we will not really internalize them. You, you say, you want some proof on that? <laughs> Let me show you. When we go down the highway and that sign says 55 miles an hour, speed limit, here's what most of us think. I'm going to go 60 to 70 because I know I can go 60 to 70 safely, and I know most of the cars on the road are going to be going 60 to 70 safely unless we see a speed trap, in which case we will all slow down immediately. Why do we do that? Are we criminals? No. 
we think 55 is arbitrary. We, we don't believe that it's necessary. We don't believe the wheels are going to fall off our car if we go over 55. So for you and I to embrace a, a boundary to the point that we actually internalize it, we have to believe in its validity. So God's first of all telling us that boundaries, his boundaries are to protect us. The white lines on the highway. Imagine what riding down the highway would be like if there were no white lines. Or imagine what it would be like going down the highway if someone were just zigzagging you know, constantly, you know, you're in your lane uh, and all of a sudden somebody just knocks you right off the road. Those white lines, they are boundaries. And those boundaries do not restrict us. Those boundaries allow us to go further, faster, safer. God's boundaries are protective, always. Whether we understand it or not, they always are. But it's important that we make sure that we believe they're valid because we don't believe they're valid. We, we won't internalize them and we won't obey them. Second reason that we should internalize God's values is that they're, they're meant to be instructive. Listen to this verse from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. So God's boundaries are instructive. They tell us what's wrong behavior, what, what's conduct that's going to bring you know, chaos and confusion and frustration and destruction, as opposed to what we want. We, we want harmony. We want stability. We, we want peace. We, we want productivity. We want improvement. We want development. And so His Word it's meant to instruct us. Let me give you an example of this in everyday life. We know that when children are very small, let's say you have a three-year-old, you might create a boundary with that child saying, okay, you can play outside in the yard, but you can't go outside of the fence. You have to stay within our yard. And you wait for the child to observe that boundary, and if they observe that very faithfully, and a child starts developing and learning, and they become more aware of things around them. Then the child gets maybe six or seven, and the child's now developed. They've been instructed by the boundary. The child's learning to ride a bike. And so now you say to the child, okay, you can ride your bike, and you can go outside of the yard, but I want you to just stay right on the sidewalk in front of the house. And the child gets eight or nine. The child's developed more. They've obeyed that one boundary. You might say, okay, you can ride your bicycle, but you've got to stay right on our street. Then a child gets 11, 12, 13. Okay, you can ride your bike, but now you, you can only stay in the neighborhood of your buddies, your friends. You, you see how this works? We, we start to be instructed by these boundaries. We start to learn. We, we expand. And, and so these boundaries that God gives to us are meant to enlighten us. They're meant to instruct us, but they do something else. They construct us. So they protect us, they instruct us, and they construct us. The child, once again, that's learning by the, the boundaries that instruct them is also growing. Uh, the day will come, the day will come when you'll give the keys to the car to that child and all of a sudden that child that had to stay within the front yard for a time in its life will drive a 3,500 pound vehicle down the road at speeds that you would never want to know about, but you'll trust that child. In fact, that child will be driving that car with the radio blasting and their friends all talking, and they might even be steering with their knees while they're texting. I hope that's not true. That would be a terrible thing. But your level of trust grows because their level of development grows. Now, you certainly hope your child doesn't do that, but you get my point. So, 
God's boundaries, they protect us, they instruct us, and as we obey them, as we submit to them, they change us inwardly. They, they construct us. We become wiser. We become uh, more uh, self-controlled in, in, as we have learned the instruction of His boundaries. Let me read you a verse that talks about how the, they con construct us. In the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 32, it says, the Apostle Paul, uh, speaking to the elders at the church of Ephesus as he was leaving them, he says, So now I put you in God's hands. I entrust you to the message of God's grace, a message that has the power to build you up, to construct you, to change you, to build you up, and to give you rich heritage among all who are set apart for God's holy purposes. So once again, God's boundaries are meant to protect us, they're meant to instruct us, and they're meant to construct us or develop us, build us up, help us grow, help our dormant capacities come alive, help those capacities be expanded so that we actually, by observing God's boundaries, we start learning to love God's way. It starts to become a habit in our life. It becomes a way of life. It becomes a code of conduct in our life. So. I want to close with some quick examples. Now, now, the New Testament is just full of them. The Bible is full of them. In the book of Ephesians, we just have a bunch of them all crowded together in chapter 5 toward the end of it, starting with verse 22 and ending in chapter 6. I'm just going to kind of randomly quickly give these to you. You can look them up on your own. But in ch chapter 5 of Ephesians in the New Testament, verse 22, it, it says to wives, it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as unto the Lord. That's a boundary. God gives that husband as a boundary. The wife is to give the place of leadership to her husband. She is to show respect to him all the time. That's a boundary. Now, does it say only do that if your husband deserves it? Does it say to do that only if he's perfect? Does it say that to do that only if he's loving you as Christ loved the church, which is another boundary in the 24th verse. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. That's also a boundary. That husband has no right to assert leadership in any old way that he wants. No, God gives a boundary. It's a loving boundary. The wife is to submit. The husband is to love as Christ loves the church, which takes lifelong activity. Let's look at another one. You go to the sixth chapter in that book of Ephesians, and it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Does it say, Children, obey your parents if they're right? No. Does it say, Children, obey your parents if they're really smart and they always make the best decisions? No. Does it say, Children, obey your parents if they're perfect? No, because there are none. It simply says, God says, All things considered, I've created a boundary for you, a protective boundary, an instructive boundary, a constructive boundary, and that boundary is your parents. And God says, Go ahead and submit to them. But then there's another boundary. God speaks specifically to fathers. He says, children, or he says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So that dad, in particular, has a boundary that he can't just discipline that child or make demands of that child any way that he wants, drive that child to some kind of crazy perfectionistic level. There's a boundary. Same book of Ephesians, chapter 6, it turns to employees and employers. It uses the term slaves because most Romans in those days were slaves. The Roman Empire conquered, and if you were a butcher, baker, candlestick maker, or a doctor, you became a slave. But it says that for the, the Christian uh, slaves, the Christian employees, that they were to serve at their place of business and their bosses. They were to serve at those places as though they were working for Christ Himself, no matter how that boss treated them, no matter how that workplace environment was. 
That's the boundary. Go into that workplace, give 110% because you're serving Christ and He's the one to reward you. It then turns in the same sixth chapter and it, it admonishes those that are the bosses, those that are the employers. And it says you, you need to treat your employees right because you have a boundary too. You're going to give account to the Lord on how you treated these people. Now, once again, it, it doesn't say that there's going to be perfection in these things, but there's multiple boundaries. In the book of Ephesians, one more time, chapter 4, verse 29, it says, Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but only that which builds others up. So God's telling us, here's a boundary. He gave us this ability to communicate, but the ability to communicate is not to tear people down. It's not to, to profane this ability to communicate. When we use profanity, we profane or poison or contaminate our own souls. Jesus said, that out of the abundance of our heart does our mouth speak. If our mouth is flooded with profanity, it shows that profanity is filling our heart. That is something God wants to save us from and clean us from. That, that, that'll build all kind of negative thought processes, all kind of bitterness, all kind of hate and things. So here again, a boundary for our communication. There's lots of boundaries. It tells us to be honest and not to steal. Now, all these boundaries are meant to protect us, to instruct us, and to construct us that we can learn to love God's way. Now, when we knowingly or unknowingly violate these boundaries, here's what we always get. We get chaos, we get confusion, we get frustration, and ultimately we get destruction. Contrast that. When we know these boundaries and internalize them and live by them, instead of chaos, we get order, we get beauty, we get stability. Instead of confusion, we get clarity, we get stability. Instead of frustration, we get satisfaction and fulfillment. And instead of destruction, we get development, we, we get improvement. I'm going to close with an illustration that I, I hope will be helpful. Uh, most of us are familiar with orchestras. Probably most of us have even uh, seen an orchestra at some point in our life. Orchestras consist of 90 or more pieces of you know musicians and the orchestra is divided into four sections. You have the string section, you have the woodwind section, you have the brass section, and the percussion section. And then, of course, you have the conductor. Now, now here's the thing about orchestras. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter what your taste in music is. If you've ever heard a good orchestra, the music that these, I mean, here's over 90 people. Sometimes it's over 100 people. They, they just bring forth this beautiful music. It's, it's just remarkable. And the precision and, and the beauty of each uh, musician's um, you know, cumulative efforts is just astounding. Now, here's the thing. Each of them observes very strict boundaries. Each musician has sheet music that tells them what to play and when to play it, what to play, when to play it, when not to play anything. Each of those musicians also submits to the conductor. Is that conductor perfect? No. That conductor is a boundary, though. They submit to the conductor. They submit to the sheet music. And because they submit to the conductor and the sheet music, they can bring forth harmony and beauty. So something beautiful is brought forth, something that can move the soul of another human being. Now, let's contrast that. Let's say that you get these top-level musicians. They're the best musicians in the country you get a top conductor in the, uh, in the country. Here they all are, but this is the difference. Now, none of them are going to observe. They're not going to have a boundary of sheet music. They're not going to observe the boundary of the conductor. At the count of three, each musician is just going to start playing at their beautiful professional level whatever 
is in their mind to play. I ask you, what is it going to sound like? It's going to be chaos. It's going to be confusion. It's going to be, really be frustrating. You're, you're not going to want to listen to an orchestra like that. And it ultimately brings destruction because it, it destroys the beauty that music is able to, to bring forth. God sets these boundaries, and I'm wondering, I'm just wondering, have we hated some of these boundaries? Have we rejected some of these boundaries? Are we maybe reaping chaos, confusion, frustration, and destruction in our lives because some loving boundary that God has given us, maybe it's the boundary of wives submitting to their husbands. You're saying, man, I'm not submitting to that jerk. Or maybe it's the boundary, uh, you know, it says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loves his church. And you're saying, I'm not loving her. She, she's a terrible nag. She, she doesn't deserve it. Or maybe it's kids that are saying, I'm not going to submit to my parents because, you know, they don't even know what they're doing. They're terrible people. Or maybe it's employees. You're going into your workplace and saying, my boss is terrible. The work environment's terrible. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go in there and work for a Christ in a place like that. Or maybe you're an owner. You know, and you're saying, I'm not going to treat my employees good because I don't care about giving account to God. And maybe instead of harmony, instead of stability, instead of fulfillment and satisfaction, and instead of development and improvement, you're reaping chaos, confusion, frustration, and destruction. Because these boundaries of love that God has given to us, and love necessitates boundaries. There have to be. Love does no ill to its neighbor. We as finite beings, unlike God who is infinite, we finite beings have the ability to do good and to do evil. God is too good to ever do evil. He is too wise to do evil. We, on the other hand, have to learn to love God's way. So I'm wondering today if some of our chaos, some of our confusion, some of our frustration, some of the deterioration and destruction we're experiencing in life is because we have either knowingly or unknowingly rejected some of these boundaries that God has put in place to protect us, to instruct us, and to construct us. And maybe today, maybe today God's saying, I want you to give thought to some of these boundaries my love has provided for you that you may learn to love the same way that I, your Creator Himself, myself, loves. I hope you'll take it to heart. It might make a an extraordinary difference in your life and for the rest of your life. FCF, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a good, good Father and you provide us boundaries. They are meant to protect us, they are meant to instruct us and to construct us and we so desperately need it all. We don't know how to love. We are torn and broken and bruised and needy and confused and we need patience, we need mercy. We need constant instruction from you. We need constant patience from others. Uh, Spirit of God, you know each listener to this message. You know the unique need. You know the unique, unique context that we need to apply this boundary of love in our lives. Um, may our hearts be soft. May our hearts be forgiving. May our hearts be humble to take this truth to heart and to internalize it in our life, your loving boundaries. I ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.